Hey guys, surprise, we're dropping a bonus episode. You may be familiar with Grace in the Gray podcast. If you're not, definitely go back to the beginning, listen to the trailer and our current episodes. This is a bonus episode and it's a special crossover with the Cedar Creek Church podcast. If you've been listening to Grace in the Gray and you may not be a believer or have a religious background, then you might be questioning, why should I believe what the Bible has to say about how I live my life? Well, in this episode, Senior Pastor Philip Lee, Rick, and myself sit down and examine the meta-narrative of the Bible. What is the Bible? Who wrote it? Why is it a credible source of information? And what does it have to say to me? So, I hope you enjoy this crossover episode of Grace in the Gray and the Cedar Creek Church Podcast. Happy listening! Hey everybody, welcome to the Cedar Creek Church Podcast. Today, I have our senior pastor, Philip Lee, joining us for a great conversation surrounding the Bible. Um, You might wonder why we're talking about the Bible today, and it's because we're getting ready to start a brand new series that will last nine weeks. Nine week series. It's a long one. One big story. Right. His story, which is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) His story. So tell us um, tell us about his story. Where do we get his story from? Yeah. So, you know, so many times when when people think of the Bible or they've read the Bible or they've heard stories from the Bible, uh, they kind of come off as these kind of one-off stories, you know, about Moses here or Abraham here or Paul here. Like it's just this collection of these individual stories about God. But what we really understand, when you really start to understand the Bible, you understand it's not just these random stories about God. It is God's story of redemption, His story of love uh, from creation all the way through to eternity. It is one big story. And so if we're going to talk about that story, obviously we're going to be walking through the Bible. So it's just important for people to kind of understand just some basic facts about the Bible, kind of how it's put together, things of that nature. Uh, And especially now more and more, people not growing up in church, maybe a lot of people don't even know those stories. And so I think you just got to start from ground one. Where do we find God's one big story? And we find it in the Bible. All right. And so I can have a physical Bible or I can have the version Bible app. And when I open up my Bible app, I'm going to see one book or a ton of books put together. Yeah. So, you know, people, you talk about the Bible as a book, but literally the word Bible is a plural word. It's the word biblio which means library. It is a collection of books, 66 books. As a matter of fact, 39 comprise what we call the Old Testament, which, by the way, Testament is just an agreement or a covenant. So you have the Old Testament, the Old Covenant between God and the nation of Israel. And then you have the New Testament, the New Covenant through Jesus. So if I'm just starting to read my Bible, can I pick one or the other? Or do I really need to read both? (laughs) Well, uh, certainly the Bible gives us a complete picture of God, the whole counsel of God's Word. Um, But here's the thing. Even though the Bible tells the one big story, God's story, it's not written like a novel. It's not written like, you know, in the beginning and you just follow this story all the way through. That's why most people who uh, try to read through the Bible in a year – 
Genesis, Exodus, they're good because those are historical narratives, and so they follow chronological order stories and this person, and you know it makes sense. Then you get to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and it's like, what happened? You know, who changed the book? It's like you pulled a book off of a law library. You got all these laws and commandments and sacrificial systems and all of that stuff, and so people just give up. Um, so there are certainly books in the Bible that are historical narratives, uh, but you can't read it from Genesis to Revelation and find a – it's not like a novel. You're not going to find it all to be historical narrative. Mm-hmm. When I started reading, I think I got through Exodus, and then I thought, okay, I'm just going to skip ahead to the Gospels. Yeah. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> it's really easy to do, yeah. but um, can you tell us a little bit about how the focus – changes from Old Testament to New yeah, Testament? Yeah, because like, you know, if you know anything about church or the Bible, you kind of get this idea in the Old Testament, there's this angry God who's always uh, punishing people, the nation of Israel for, you know, wandering away, disobeying. And then all of a sudden you flip over to the New Testament, it's like God got nice, you know, like he had his morning coffee, <laughs> you know, he's in a better mood. But we have to understand uh, the Old Testament, and the New Testament, part of one big story but a very different focus. The entire Old Testament is about God's relationship, His pursuit of, redemption of, and love for the nation of Israel, this nation that He created from Abram out of nothing, an old man with an old wife who had no children. So He creates this nation out of nothing and then establishes uh, the descendants of Abraham as a nation in slavery. Then He rescues them from slavery, and then He gives them His law, which I love we don't think about that. We think about following the laws of God as a way to get in God's family, like to get God's love. But actually, it's after he's rescued him. He said, I, you're, I'm your God. You're my people. I've rescued you. Now, here's how you should live. But the focus of the Old Testament, because it's focused on that relationship based on law and the sacrificial system, the emphasis is on God's justice, that God is a just God. Well, when you get to the New Testament, justice has been served, right? The price has been paid. The debt has been paid. The lamb has been sacrificed. And so now it's this covenant of grace through Jesus' blood. So Two very same God. God didn't change. Two very different views. It's like you know the old saying about the three blind guys trying to figure out what the elephant is, and like the person up front says, "Oh, it's a snake," <laughs> and then the person standing on the side says, "Oh, it's a tree," you know, because it's feeling the leg. And so, if you only look at one part of the Bible, you're going to get a, a warped perception mm-hmm. that of makes sense. God. I see. So uh, it's one big story. Usually stories have an author. Does the Bible have one author? Yeah. Uh, Well, the Bible has uh, one author in God, and the Bible has somewhere around 40, about 40 human authors. Now, when I say about, you're like, wait a minute, don't we know who wrote all these different 66 books? Yes, but there are some that we don't know. For example, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, uh, it doesn't say in the text, you know, this is from Paul or this is from John or Mark. It doesn't indicate. So there's nothing in the book itself that tells you who wrote it. So some scholars say, yeah, we think Paul wrote it because it sounds a lot like Paul. But others would say, no, it looks like multiple people People wrote it, so it's maybe it's 39 human authors, maybe it's 41, but it's about 40. We know the vast majority 
of the human writers, but the way that they wrote the Bible was under inspiration of God through the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that God turned them into zombies and you know just moved their hand and pen. Um, through the Holy Spirit, using their personalities, their experiences, their context, they wrote what was inspired by God in them. That's why we call it a divine human book, written by human authors under the inspiration, the direction of God using their unique personalities in the way. And you can see that. You know, Paul Paul comes off, I mean, he's he's definitely kind of an in-your-face, straight to the point, you know, don't mess around, give it to me, give it to me hard. Uh, and then you have John, who was one of Jesus' closest followers, tender-hearted guy, very soft personality. And so they write based on their personalities but they write the truth of God from these different perspectives. And that's, you know, no one author could en encapsulate what God is like. Right. And if we've got about 40 authors, how did they all get put together? Yeah, it's a great question. So first of all, you got to realize when the biblical authors were writing, they had no idea that there was even going to be a Bible or that what they were writing was going to end up in you know, this collection we call the Bible, they were just writing from their own experiences, kind of their eyewitness testimony in the Gospels. They were, you know, the Gospel writers were getting to the end of their life, and they said, man, I want to get this story down. Some wrote. Um, Peter dictated his. That's where we get the Gospel of Mark. And so they didn't know they were writing the Bible. They were just writing putting down what they had experienced, whether you're talking about Moses in the Old Testament or, or let's say, John in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So uh, this collection of writings, um, after about, I think, in 90 A.D., so that's, uh, what, 70 years, 60 years after the birth, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, uh, as the early Christian church started to spread around Judea, you had the Jewish rabbis going, wait a minute, these uh, Jewish Christians, these followers of the way, they're coming to synagogue and they've got these writings now uh, of the Gospels and uh, these letters from Paul. And so they're like, mm, we better clarify what is for them, the nation of Israel, what is the canonized, which just means the strict standard. So about 90 A.D., a council of rabbis set aside those 39 books to say, look, this is the word of God to the nation of Israel. Now com compromises what we call the Old Testament. And about 300 years later, uh, as the church that was just kind of meeting in homes, not terribly organized, as they begin to to kind of get more organized in their gatherings and more organized in their corporate worship, the, the church fathers, a handful of the leaders of that early church in like 395 A.D., um, started to say, look, we need to kind of get together and ensure what is appropriate for worship, what is truly inspired Word of God, and what is just writings about the same time that might even be about Jesus. And so you have a lot of ancient writing about God and about Jesus that were not really divinely inspired. And so 
And, you know, if you're familiar at all with, say, Catholicism, you grew up in the Catholic Church, you've got a Catholic Bible. You know, there are books in there called the Apocryphal between the Old Testament and New Testament, you know, First and Second Maccabees, or maybe you saw uh, Dan Brown, the movie uh, with Tom Hanks. What was that movie called? Uh, da Vinci Code, right? It's just based on this idea, the Gospel of Thomas, and you're like, that's not in the Bible. The Gospel of Thomas. You know, supposedly Jesus married Mary Magdalene, they had a child, all of that. But that's written about the same time, just as ancient, but not considered by the early church and the leaders in that church of being divinely inspired. Not all writing at that time about Jesus is divinely inspired. Now, before you get the idea that, you know, it's a bunch of fat cats in a back room with cigars going, well, I like this part about Jesus, or I like that, they were not creating that list. They were affirming the list of uh, canonized books that were actually already accepted by the church. So nobody saw the list come out and go, oh, I can't believe they left that out, or they didn't put that one in. It was just like, yeah, these these make sense to us. Mm-hmm. So some, some books... Are, are quote unquote missing, and that is is accepted, just like you said. What about um, historical events that may be missing from the Bible? Is that a cause for concern for its validity? Well, only if you think the purpose of the Bible is to tell you history, the history of the world, or the history of human beings, or the history of God. Even it's not meant to be. You know, people get all you know. People love to argue. Oh, you know, the Bible can't be true because there's no dinosaurs in the Bible. Well, the purpose of the Bible was not to teach me natural history, right? Although I will say, just as a side note, if you read the book of Job, there's an animal described in the book of Job called a leviathan. Seems an awful lot like a dinosaur. I don't know. But here's the point. It doesn't matter. The Bible was not written to give me the history of nature. It was written to give me God's one big, incredible story of love and redemption. So, in fact, even the the New Testament says clearly, if everything Jesus said and did was written down, there are not enough books, right? There's, There's no way. And so, because God divinely inspired it and divinely canonized it, put down what we would need to know Him, then... Sure, there's missing pieces. There are things Jesus did and said that are are not recorded. Mm -hmm. And the Bible itself says that? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it says that about itself. We just don't need it, right? We have more than enough, more than enough. Mm -hmm. And so um, I've heard of a book. It's called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Um, It it makes a case for Christ, and it, it goes into detail about the evidence. So can you tell us a little bit about maybe some of the evidence from that book or evidence that you know of that, again, speaks to how valid and true the Bible is? Yeah, sure. It's a great illustration of something that happened uh, just two years before I was born <laughs> in 1961. So for years, archaeologists and historians uh often discounted the gospel stories because there was no historical or archaeological evidence for uh, Pontius Pilate, 
And if you know anything about the Gospels, he plays a big role, uh, particularly in the passion of Jesus. You know, he's the guy that washes his hands. He's the Roman kind of local governor for that area. And so, but he's he was not found anywhere in history. So they say, oh, they're making up names, right? This Obviously, this is made up because they invented some guy that never existed. And so that was kind of the evidence that the Bible is not really historical or accurate or true. And then in 1961, a group of archaeologists Archaeologists were deconstructing an ancient Roman amphitheater cut into this, you know, just a big amphitheater. And the stones, the flat stones that made the seats of the amphitheater, as they were taking them apart, they turned one of them over, and there was an inscription for Pontius Pilate, right? They just never found it. You know, the Bible says of itself, every word of God will be found true. Uh, may not yet, right, in some areas or whatever, but you can count on God's Word being true. It, it, that's why, you know, people get all bent out of shape about science or things of that nature. I'm like, we're only defensive of what we're insecure about. If we are secure that God's Word is true, you know, science is never going to contradict it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really excited about the next series, One Big Story, and um, I think that our listeners can benefit from hearing this podcast and, and kind of brushing up on um, their Bible knowledge, and I hope that they will join us and, and take time to read their Bible. Um, if you are not watching this podcast and you're just listening, um, you might be surprised in a minute when you hear another voice. We have someone else joining us that I failed to introduce. We have our adult ministry director at the Bank Smell Campus, Rick Lee. Thanks for joining us, Rick. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Uh, I wanted to ask, Sam kind of let me in on this was going to be the discussion for you guys as we prep for this series, and I'm really excited about it. But one of the cool things that we've had the opportunity to launch, Sam and Jordan and I here in the past couple of weeks at Cedar Creek is the Grace in the Gray podcast, where kind of the mission statement is holding up the black and white of Scripture. So as we're talking about the Bible and preparing to do this, walk through the Bible and examine the Bible. I think it's really timely and cool with what we're doing with Grace in the Gray as we hold up the black and white of Scripture to speak into the gray of culture. Um, and one of the passions behind the podcast that we started is for people who may have never had any sort of interaction with the Bible, um, who may not be a believer, who maybe would classify themselves as seeker, uh, or may would just classify themselves as completely disinterested. And so I would ask you, maybe as promo for this series, or just for somebody listening in who maybe fits into one of those two categories, would you tell them... Hey, I know you're not a believer. The Bible has no use for you, or would you say the Bible is absolutely use has use for you in your life? Is useful? Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, because as we said, it it is revealing who God is, right? It's not just about God, but it's God revealing Himself to us. He does that through His Word. and He does that through His people, the church, right? And so, yeah, if you don't have to have faith to come to the Bible. I think being able to explore it, to, to challenge it, to, to say, well, just because Grandma said it was the Word of God and everything in it was true, uh, to wrestle with that. Uh, just come at it with some uh, intellectual and emotional honesty. And I think it's going to speak true because it's going to prove true not just about was there a Pontius Pilate, but it's going to prove true on how life works best, right? When you look at some of these, say, cultural questions and issues, these gray areas of the culture, it's going to speak truth into that, that even if you're not a believer, now, well, you can 
see, does that hold true, right? Does that hold true in my life? And so if God gave us the Bible, gave us his word to reveal himself and to reveal his unbelievable love and pursuit of us, right? Just like in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel, now in the New Testament to the whole world. So, yeah, it's useful. It's, you know. It's like saying, is creation useful for help, helping people maybe understand if there's a God and what that God is like? When I look at the beauty of mountains or the diversity in nature, is that helpful? Sure. And in the same way, the Bible is helpful in allowing you to see and know what God is really like, not just what other people tell you he's like. Yeah, that's good. So you would tell somebody... Maybe you're not going to be struck by lightning if you come into this series or to the Bible as a whole just questioning. Like, is it is it okay to open this with to open God's word with a critical eye? I know, especially growing up in the Bible Belt, maybe people struggle with I'm not allowed to question. This has always been presented as absolute truth. Would you? I guess what I'm asking is, would you say that God God welcomes your questioning? Absolutely. Uh, the guy who's going to be teaching this series, Pastor Philip Lee. <laughs> He's got all kinds of questions. He's got questions about God. He's got questions about the Bible. He's always in this journey. Uh, questions are what draw us closer to God, right? So, yeah, come in skeptical. Uh, come in uh, – again, this is not going to be a seminary lecture on how we know the Bible is reliable and all the stuff about transcripts. And, and you can study that. You can read the case for Christ. That. The really the purpose of this story is to kind of help you see God's pursuit of us, his creation of us, and then his pursuit of love, desiring um, this intimate relationship with us and allowing us to live the life he created us to live that was marred and damaged and broken in the garden. And I break it every day with my own eating of the fruit, my own sin, <laughs> my own, I think I know better than God, but his His love is constant and it's pursuing love. And so, yeah, come, come question, come challenge. Cool. Thanks. That's it for today for the Cedar Creek Church podcast. Thank you, Pastor Philip. Thank you, Sam. And um, be sure to subscribe so you can listen in on the next episode. We hope you'll join us then. Thanks. <laughs>